Hey folks, welcome to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream number 136, if I'm not mistaken. It is hot in Portland. Oh my goodness, it, it is really hot. is. I have decided that what I'm going to do is I'm going to wear a t-shirt for this podcast, and although that's kind of not in keeping, what I'm going to do is I'm going to define it as a button-down, because that's how things are. are <laughs> yes, well, that is in keeping with some of what we'll be talking about today, but yeah, you're going full otter today. That's I'm awesome. full, full otter. The otter is riding a bicycle. For those of you just listening, it is, uh, it's not a photograph of an otter riding a bicycle, but it is a uh, shockingly realistic depiction of an otter riding a bicycle. Yeah, an otter being safe, looking both ways, or at least looking back over his shoulder. Yep. Yep. Seeing if he's being followed. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it is. Um, it is hot as uh, as it has been many places, but uh, this is super unusual for Pacific Northwest. Here we are. Yes, we. I forgot to point out, I'm Dr. Brett Weinstein, and you are Dr. Heather Hying. I am, and you are. And today we're going to talk about sex and gender, murder, transition, things like that. Wikipedia definition: the recession. And the drinking age for young people. Awesome. I don't exactly see the connection between these three things, but I'm sure it we'll find something. obvious in retrospect, I'm hoping. <laughs> hoping. All right. So uh, housekeeping first. We follow these live streams uh, when we have time, as we do today, with a live Q&A. So you can ask questions at darkhorsesubmissions.com. Go there now, ask questions. We will get to as many as possible after we end this first hour, hour and a half live stream and then start with the live Q&A about 15 minutes afterwards. We, um, we have this book out in French. That's upside down. Mm. This book, which in English is this, Hunter-Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century, Evolution and the Challenges of Modern Life. And um, we're doing some more Spanish language interviews. Not We're not speaking in Spanish because, unfortunately, our Spanish just isn't that good. Getting um, better. The interviews um, help. It's, yeah, it's great. Um, so it's coming out. Um, it's been out in Spain since, I think, June. And uh, it's coming out in many countries in Latin America and U.S. Spanish edition, uh, either either August or maybe early September. So that's that's happening, and it's out in French now. If you're watching on YouTube, we are, of course, live as well on Odyssey, and the chat is live on Odyssey, and uh, we're everywhere all everywhere where you find your, your podcasts after that. We have a store, darkhorsestore.org, uh, where you can find um, not otters on bicycles, but other cool things, epic tabbies, digital book burnings, that sort of thing. Uh, you can find um, me, my writing, at naturalselections.substack.com. Dot com and we are supported by our audience. We are very, very grateful to you and for you. We appreciate you subscribing to uh, whatever what, whatever way that you are watching or listening, uh, liking the videos, sharing or or the audio podcast, sharing them, both our full episodes, and uh, if you are engaged in the video. Um, consumption of our content than the clips channels as well on Dark Horse Podcast Clips on both Odyssey and YouTube. And uh, just a reminder that YouTube demonetized us about a year ago now and uh, took a substantial part of our income with it when it went. Uh, so we appreciate also financial support from those who can afford it. You can join one of our Patreons tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific on Sunday, July 31st. Not today, just July 30th. I had that wrong earlier. Um, we will be doing a private Q&A. The questions have already been asked, but it's it's small enough. We engage with the chat. It's it's a lot of fun. It's fun, and it's like a yeah. nice little community of people. And it really is. A back and forth banter. Anyway, it's, yeah. it's a different thing. It's very cool. It is. It's 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 a lot of fun. And uh, also, at our end, uh, before we come back to you next week on our next live stream, Brett will have one of his conversations 
uh, on Saturday morning next. Yes, that will be the uh, Coalition of the Reasonable. Also an excellent conversation full of great people. Many of them have been there for years. Wonderful. And on either of our Patreons, you can get access to our wonderful Discord community where you can engage in honest conversations about difficult topics where you will not be shamed for holding a position that is a minority position or a new position or a position that you haven't fully thought out or a position that you might change your mind about. And we encourage people to do just that, what they find out that what they used to believe isn't what they currently believe. You, they have book clubs, uh, happy hour, virtual happy hours, karaoke, and uh, encourage you to go find a spot around the virtual campfire. And of course, we have sponsors. And we are grateful to our sponsors, uh, both both new and old. All of our sponsors have products or services that we actually and truly vouch for. So without further ado, here we go, the three sponsors for this episode. All right. Our first sponsor for this episode is Faro Life, which makes skincare products from animal fats, primarily lard from pigs. Fairlife makes a few remarkable skin products. They are unique and highly effective at moisturizing and feeding human skin. I use face food on my face and skin food for the rest of my body. Just a tiny bit of face food evens out the texture and it just feels really good. Similarly, a little bit of skin food on cracked fingers after too much gardening or dry legs or elbows after a lot of dirty work or time in the wind and sun feels luxurious and smooths things out. A little goes a long way. It's made in small batches here in the U.S. with no added chemicals or preservatives. The fat is 100% sourced from farms that use regenerative and pasture-based animal husbandry, which Pharaoh is calling smart lard technology. Pharaoh Life's products come from healthy animals, which in turn promotes healthy humans and a healthy planet. If you've got sensitive skin, or a baby with diaper rash, or a small child with eczema, or have a very active lifestyle that includes, for instance, crafting, or wood, or metalworking, or generally being outside a lot, you should try Fair Life's skin food. Fair Life is a young company, the first lard-based skincare company, and is eager to promote more products utilizing smart lard technology, including soap, deodorant, and lip balm. After all, the lard works in mysterious ways. Go get yourself some face food or skin food or both to help restore your skin's health, elasticity, and moisture. Dark Horse listeners can save 20% off their first purchase by going to pharaoh.life slash darkhorse or applying the code darkhorse at checkout. Get additional 15% savings by signing up for a subscription to receive Pharaoh skin food on a monthly, bi-monthly, or quarterly basis. That's pharaoh.life slash darkhorse. All right. Our second sponsor this week is Bub's Naturals. Bub's Naturals sells three products that are becoming ever more popular in fitness and outdoor exploration circles collagen protein, MCT oil, and apple cider vinegar gummies. There are a lot of companies already selling these products, but Bubs is different. Here's how. The products themselves are of the highest quality, carefully and sustainably sourced. And Bubs is a company with a conscience. Bubs is named for Navy SEAL Glenn Bubb. Glenn Bubb Doherty, who was great friends uh, with people from all walks of life, including one of the founders of Bubs Naturals. For 364 days a year, 10% of all profits go to a charity in Glenn's honor. And on Veterans Day, that number is 100%. Bub's Naturals encapsulates Glenn's enthusiasm for life, self-improvement, and helping others with the motto, Feel great, do good. Try Bub's Natural Collagen Protein, which is truly unflavored and soluble. And I will say it is shockingly unflavored and very soluble. I have tried it, and it's awesome. Unlike some of the collagen proteins on the market. It's got just one ingredient, which is critical for joint and gut health and muscle recovery. And you can add it to anything, a glass of water, a smoothie, a cup of coffee. I have added it to water and coffee, and I've sometimes added it to water with 
uh, apple cider vinegar, which is a very good way to do it. And Bub's Naturals Collagen Protein is sustainably sourced from grass-fed, pasture-raised cows in southern Brazil, very far from the Amazon. If you are looking for a soluble, soluble, flavorless protein to help with, for instance, post-workout recovery, this could be just the product for you. Both the collagen protein and MCT oil are as easy to add to coffee for the boost that you are looking for, uh, be it mental focus or muscle and joint wellness and recover recovery. Furthermore, the apple cider vinegar gummies have been a huge hit with many of our friends and family. Everyone who tries them seems to want more. Bub's Naturals aspires to the words die young as late as possible. I think that is a brilliant slogan. I do too. Perfectly with the uh, senescence uh, logic of life. Go to bubsnaturals.com and use the code DARKHORSE at checkout for 20% off your order. Excellent. Our final sponsor this week is Mudwater. That's M-U-D slash W-T-R. Mudwater is a coffee alternative made with mushrooms, herbs, and spices. It's got a seventh of the caffeine as a cup of coffee, and you get energy without the anxiety, jitters, or crash of coffee. And it's delicious. Each ingredient in Mudwater was added with intention. It has cacao and chai, lion's mane, cordyceps, shaga and reishi, turmeric, cinnamon, and more. This is a terrific product. I really enjoy it. Either on its own or as a warm drink in the morning, black or with cream or honey or both. And it's not just for people who don't want coffee or trying to give up coffee. I I enjoy my coffee and I also enjoy my mud water. There's definitely a hint of chocolate in the flavor and the masala chai blend including ginger and cardamom, nutmeg and cloves. And lightly, lightly. Lately, I've been blending it into a smoothie with a banana and ice, some delicious locally made entirely nut milk, mint, and cacao nibs. It's completely delicious. And they've got a wonderful new caffeine-free product designed to be a drink before bed, which I also love. Mudwater is 100% USDA organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher certified. Mudwater allows you to build a morning ritual that promotes sustained energy without the crash. So... Visit mudwater.com slash darkhorse to support the show and use darkhorse at checkout for 15% off. That's M-U-D-W-T-R dot com slash darkhorse and or use darkhorse at checkout for 15% off. All right. Now, before we get going, I realize there's something I forgot to say last week that I should right. have. Um, I did an interview on a product that no one will have heard of called QPARC. That's an acronym. And I did it with the uh, the author and uh, the uh, it is his brainchild. What does that make him? The brainfather of Cupart, <laughs> Paul Arantz. Um, anyway, it is on his channel, but I think you should look at it. Among other things in there, we have a discussion, which I did not see coming, but nonetheless, I think was interesting about the utility of Cupart, which is a mechanism for leveling the playing field in arguments. And the question that uh, Paul raised was, what would be the utility of such a thing uh, in the context of the uh, argument that we have with Sam Harris? And so in this, I invite Sam uh, to potentially use this software in order to have out the argument that we have been headed for for so long. Um, 
And uh, anyway, I hope many people will go look at it. We will provide a link to that video in the description. Uh, if you're interested in this, I've been involved in the project for quite a number of years, I think four years now at this point. Um, and it is uh, almost ready for prime time. If you're interested in the project, sign up for uh, the QPark Twitter account and the QPark YouTube channel, and you can hear more about it as it develops. Now, what you've written down there looks like a very unusual spelling of the word that you are using. Yes, as I said, it's a it's an acronym for a process. How is it spelled? No one is going to be able to find it if you don't tell them. I should tell them now? Yes. Okay, yes. Um, it is Q-P-A-R-Q. Q. It's that terminal yeah. Q that's, uh, that's a little, the little surprising. The terminal Q, which mm -hmm. is not followed by a U. An E, a U, or an E. Right. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not followed by much. Um, and the initial one is followed by the rest of the acronym, but it's not Being followed non -terminal by... Being non-terminal at yeah, all. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I know this has been fascinating to people uh, who have been uh, wondering how you would spell Q-Park if you were to set out to do such a thing. I mean, given that you're trying to send people to Q-Park, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not a word that anyone's heard before uh, because presumably Paul and his, uh, what do you call him, brain father? He's the brain father. Uh, his, his, uh, his, his, his brain team uh, came up with that word. Maybe he did on his own, but uh, it, it warrants a just a, a spelling. I know that's not. Yeah, that no, it tend to be what you do, but I will say I think it is a uh, a truly terrible name for this piece of software. <laughs> but I will point out that many of the most important features of our world have terrible names. Hmm. It's become name kind another of, uh, Google. Oh, okay. Google the Beatles. The Beatles. The arguably the greatest band in the history of rock and roll. Their name is predicated on one lackluster pun. It's not a good name, but great band. So anyway, I think the uh, you would have felt better about them if it had been predicated on two lackluster puns. Or? I would have been I would have felt much better about it if it had been predicated on a single excellent pun. That would have been fine, right? Or something obscure, you know, the Doors. That's a good name, right? The Doors and not the Beatles. The Doors huh. of perception. Beatles. It, okay. Oh, the Doors of perception. The okay. Doors of perception. Okay. Right. Okay. So it there's it's something important. Okay. Yep. Um, so yeah, I think the Beatles had a terrible name, but succeeded in spite of it. It's almost as a hobby handicap uh, of rock and roll kind of phenomenon. Mm -hmm. That's not going to make any sense to anyone but you, but you got it. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> Here we are. Yes. Okay, shall we talk about murder? Uh, of course. All right. We always start there. We always start there. Uh, the New York Times reported this week on a two-time violent killer who, upon release from prison at the age of 81, went on to kill again tragic um and and the killer is a woman which is both tragic and very unusual so i'm going to just read the first five paragraphs of this um article if i why is it hiding from me now where did it go why does my computer do this to me um it's the interface with the the, the streaming computer okay here we go um Zach, yeah, you can show this again uh, or show this now. I don't know. It's a little jumbled at the top, but maybe that doesn't matter. I don't know why it's doing this. So this is the New York Times uh, piece this week. How did a two-time killer get out to be charged again at age 83? Marceline Harvey is accused of dismembering a woman in Brooklyn. Her life was defined by a tormented relationship with women and herself and a simmering anger. This is published yesterday. And here are the first five paragraphs of the article. The person before the parole panel in June 2019 was tall and slim, in far better shape than 81 years of life might have suggested. 
Mild and polite, the supplicant seemed nothing like the murderer who had spent decades in prison, first for shooting a girlfriend dead in 1963, and then for stabbing another in 1985, stuffing her corpse into a bag and leaving it in Central Park. I am no longer that person, the inmate told the parole board commissioners. Despite misgivings, they would rule in favor of release. Two and a half years after leaving Cayuga Correctional Facility, Marceline Harvey was accused again, charged with killing Susan Layden, 68. Part of Ms. Layden's body were found in March inside a shopping cart in East New York, stuffed in a bag. In Ms. Harvey's apartment, investigators found a bloody mop, a tub full of towels, and a box for an electric saw. For seven decades leading up to her latest arrest, Ms. Harvey navigated New York's intricate criminal justice bureaucracy, the country's largest police apparatus, the state's overlapping welfare agencies, its prisons, and the officials charged with deciding who remains in them. She confronted the system in some moments, manipulated it in others. Behind her was a trail of crimes so grisly that for decades, parole officials refused to let her out. Now Ms. Harvey has pleaded not guilty to murder. Ms. Harvey's lawyer at the Brooklyn Public Defender's Office declined to comment on her case. Ms. Harvey, who was being held at Rikers, could not be reached for comment. She declined an interview request. So that's the first part of a long article of which I will share more shortly. Um, but this is an amazing story. Very unusual. Very, very unusual. Um, and so I actually I looked up, I've got the FBI statistics uh, from 2019 on on homicide homicides by sex that are single victim, single offender crimes only. So this obviously is not a single victim crime. Um, and I strongly suspect that these numbers I'm about to share would be even more strongly skewed in multiple victim crimes. Uh, but I, I wasn't able in the short amount of time I was looking to find um, multiple multiple victims, single offender crimes. Uh, but what I what I find from 2019, again, on the FBI site, is male offenders out of a total of, oh, I don't have the total written down here, but male offenders in, again, single victim, single offender homicides were numbered 5,839, and female offenders were 683, which is actually higher than I was expecting. Uh, and when you do the math on that, that's 90%. 90% of uh, single victim, single offender homicides as logged, as recorded by the FBI in 2019, 90% um, had men as the offenders, uh, which makes, uh, which makes a female, um, homicidal maniac uh rather rather completely unusual well it's probably much more unusual than that statistic as i said right but because of the definition of homicide as opposed to murder Mm -hmm. in other words a justifiable homicide if somebody is being attacked and they kill their attacker that counts as a homicide but not a murder Indeed. Um, and so there may be many. Uh, I, w- I, I would guess that that is distributed unequally too. Yes. I don't know, but I agree. Be- I agree. And of course, I mean, there's there's a lot of there are a lot of places where you can find statistics. And uh, I went with the FBI. Imagine from you know from before COVID. Uh, just imagine that they would be somewhat uh, somewhat clean. I'm sure there are reasons to object to their their numbers as with anyone's, but there you go. Something like ninety uh, percent of homicides. Uh, with one victim and one offender are um, are done by men. But if we go back to that article, here we go. We go back to the same New York Times article, and I'm just I'm reading here from a PDF so that I could highlight some. The very next paragraph says, decades worth of police documents and court records records detail the life of Ms. Harvey, a transgender woman who transitioned at some point after her release from prison. 
Central to her tale are more than three decades of parole board minutes obtained through the state's Freedom of Information Law. In them, she insists that authorities exaggerated evidence, changes stories about crimes she admitted, and veers between a contrition and blaming those she killed. The records include several examples of her harassing or attacking women throughout her life. She was accused of attempted rape at 14. The victim was an eight-year-old girl. Ms. Harvey, who by her own account struggled with her mental health, said she had to choke down rage when women challenged her manliness before she transitioned, making fun of her soft voice, for example. Um, Talk about burying the lead. This is unbelievable. They, I mean, it's the same damn pattern that we have discussed before with for, you know, obviously the context is entirely different, but um, Chelsea Manning who was Bradley Manning, the crime for which she was imprisoned happened in her male form. She transitioned afterwards. So even if you give full credit to the idea that a person can transition from one gender to the other, there is still a historical fact, right? What Chelsea Manning did had nothing to do with giving um, secret documents to WikiLeaks, right? Bradley Manning did that. And in this case, the person who engaged in the crime for which we sh- she was incarcerated for all those years, crimes, crimes was a man. Mm-hmm. Yep. And frankly, still is. Uh, this, I mean, th- this is... But even this, if we this is This is bullshit, yeah. right? Um, and, you know, a considerable risk of being a broken record on this topic. Uh, how is this kind? Who is this kind to? How is this compassionate? Who does it serve to pretend that sex... Uh, isn't real, and that violence against violence against women uh, by a man who was engaged in violence against women his entire life is in fact violence perpetrated by a woman. No, this you know the only the only possible crime that this homicidal maniac has committed that could plausibly, and I think that would be a stretch, but could plausibly be suggested to have been uh, performed by a woman by a trans woman is the last one after after the release from prison at the point that the person was already in their in their 70s i believe this is total incoherence yeah. it's farce and it's tragedy right it's it's tragedy and farce at the individual level at the justice level and at the society level so well and the rest, it- i mean this, this we are in we are seeing and you know there 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 are a lot of ways that we will be uh, mocked for saying that this is one of the canaries in the coal mine, that this is one of the horsemen of the apocalypse. But this is, this, this is the way that the West falls. Everyone, every child and every adult knows that sex is real and that sex is binary and that however you decide you want to express yourself doesn't change what you are. I would add to that, that the behavior of the New York Times in obscuring that fact and pretending that there is a different fact, which is not even logically coherent, is um, the equivalent of a journalistic crime. This is, as uh, we always point out, the supposed paper of record. And the point is, this isn't any sort of record. This is a fairy tale being presented as the record of something. And I I would point something out. To the extent that all adults all reasonable adults understand that there are differences between males and females. Think about the consequence of pretending that one can simply transition by saying, I'm, I've moved from one category to the next. Mm-hmm. What does that do to the statistics? 
Well, one thing it does is the number of murders that are uh, perpetrated by women is going to go up, right? Now, those aren't murders perpetrated by women, right? At most, they are murders perpetrated by trans women. But the point is, whose bill do they go on, right? Right. Is there a problem with women becoming more violent? No, there's a problem with men saying that they are women and remaining violent or something like that. Obvious prediction, which I am certain would be borne out. If... If the FBI, for instance, started collecting data on um, on I just, gender is the wrong frickin' thing to be using here, yeah. but homicide by offender, male, female, trans woman, trans man, obviously what you would have leading the way would be men and trans women with women... Um, you know, proportional to their representation in society below that, and trans men probably lowest of all. Yep, that's a that's an important prediction. Yeah, and uh, we are just. It's not even like we we've been in like a, a relay race, and we're like passing the baton to the next the next country that wants to pick it up. We're pretending the baton never existed. We're pre- we're pretending all sorts of things about about who we are and what we are and how life works that is rendering us, like I said, farcical. We, we look ridiculous because, you know, even at this point, we'll talk a little bit shortly, but, you know, even the, the very liberal, famously left-leaning countries in Scandinavia are now pulling back from a lot of this gender insanity. They, they are, and again, we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk. America is just like remaining staunch. We are, we are remaining staunch in our deep confusion. Yeah. And it is, you know, as we have pointed out, it is a, a revolution that is at least, it is probably emerging from academia, which is, uh, bizarrely taken over by yeah. uh, particular false notions and, and has increasingly been so over decades. But this is now, taking over the sciences, as I somewhat famously said in uh, Mike Nana's documentary on the Evergreen Affair, this has spilled out into all of civilization. We have, you know, activist uh, district attorneys refusing to charge people for crimes, basically Mm -hmm. blaming society for uh, their bad behavior, etc. But this also, so a couple things are true. One, the ability to even say what is true, right? You could say hypothesis, men and women are not substantially different right but then you make it impossible to test that hypothesis if you confuse the question of who actually is male and female right right? so that's what's happening at a statistical level but there's also a way there's something in this story that comes from a very different thread something that's bugged me for for literally decades i do have more to share about it too but but go for it now all right we when we deal with punishing people right when we imprison people ought to be defining two categories. Some people can be rehabilitated. Mm -hmm. We ought to take the possibility of rehabilitating them very seriously, and we ought to invest in the structures that actually succeed in rehabilitation, whatever they may be. Mm -hmm. It's a discoverable answer. And then there are lots of people who aren't rehabilitatable. They are psychopaths in the Mm -hmm. worst case, right? Why did this person get out at all, Right. right? Crimes that grisly, 
certainly suggest that somebody is completely, is beyond indifferent. Maybe they delight in, you know, in murder and dismembering. And so the point... And rape and sexual assault. And sexual assault, all of these things. Mm -hmm. So the question is, even let's say that there was a 10% chance that that person was rehabilitatable and that they somehow violate the trend that we know from so many other psychopaths, right? There's no reason to think that that's a category, but let's say it was. It's still not worth risking other people's lives on that gamble. They've done enough to justify keeping them away from civilization for the rest of their life. Why was this person even eligible to be released, given that they, as far as we know, modern psychology tells us a psychopath cannot be rehabilitated. So why are we pretending otherwise when it comes to our legal system? Well, um, to be fair to the New York Times, uh, this is a point they make. Now, they're deeply confused about what the sex of the homicidal maniac in question is, and they claim that that's a difficult question to think about, but that the real question, which is simpler, is exactly the one you just raised. Okay. Uh, just a few more bits from the piece. Quote, a homeless shelter worker and people close to Ms. Layden questioned whether, despite her gender identity, Ms. Harvey should have been placed in a homeless shelter for women, given her history of attacking and murdering them. Speaking from Rikers to the New York Post, Ms. Harvey referred to herself as having two personas. One, a violent male named Harvey Marcelin, the name she used for most of her life and is included in court records, and the other, a soft-spoken woman named Marceline Harvey. So, um, born in 1938, Ms. Harvey spent her youth in New York, wrong, the child of a single mother. Even as a teenager, she displayed a propensity for violence, particularly toward women, and had a complicated gender identity. Who the fuck cares? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, according to court records and parole board minutes, Ms. Harvey, no, was treated at Catholic charities, which paired clergy and lay people with troubled children. After the attempted rape at 14. Now, that paragraph, I was obviously adding a lot of editorial commentary while I was reading it, but that paragraph on its own, ending with, uh, was treated at Catholic charities after the attempted rape at 14, makes her sound like a victim. At the time, this was Harvey, a 14-year-old violent young man who attempted the rape of an 18, of an eight-year-old girl. This is this is this is journalistic malpractice. As a young adult, Ms. Harvey, described then as a tall, slender man, lived with her mother and earned no, described. not described, not described, <laughs> accurately observed to be, not described. Wrong. Like none of this none of this makes sense. In early 1963, Ms. Harvey was again accused of rape. This time as a 24-year-old. This time as a 24-year-old man. They should say. Right. And it, it goes on and on and on. The problem here is even to the extent, right? And I, I always bend over backwards to do this correctly, though. I think at some level, this. It's got, it's, it, they've jumped it, the shark. It falls under my rubric of <laughs> you don't have to take sophistry seriously. That's right. But the fact is, right? If we say gender is the software of sex, right? That only goes so far, right? That linguistic trick they played there with the rape, the attempted rape at 14, mm-hmm. where because she is described as female, uh, the she is the presumed victim in that paragraph. Right. That is not about software, right? The fact is it may not be impossible for a woman to rape a man, 
but it is certainly much less probable at the level of morphology, right? right? The fact is an intermittent organ is uh, not a matter of opinion. It is something that is either present, right, and therefore can be weaponized, or not present. And the point is, the New York Times years later doesn't get to pretend that that's nobody's business because it was apparently central to the incident. Just point of order, uh, biology speak may not be everyone's language. And you did not say intermittent organ, although that is one possible um, interpretation <laughs> of what in fact the organ is as well. Intromittent organ uh, is an organ that can penetrate and is a penis, or if you happen to be a squamate, if if some of our listeners are in fact snakes or lizards, uh, uh, hemipenes, two of them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have that many squamates listening, but I, I hope could so. be wrong. I mean, maybe, maybe some of our listeners have squamates attending to them. That is possible. Yeah. That is possible. So intromittent but, organ is what you said, and it's not, it's, it's not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of opinion. And in yeah. fact, the question of what prison to send you to... Mm -hmm. Got a penis? No women's prison under any circumstances. I don't care how you dress. I don't care how many shrinks have diagnosed you. The point is that's a hazard to women, yep. right? You know, if you've had it removed, we can talk about whether or not you just decided you were a woman or, you know, that's a longstanding issue. There's at yep. least a question then. Yep. But no, the, if you are an intact man, the idea of being sent to a women's prison because it's how you say you feel, what universe have we landed in? That's insane. This is actually relevant. Uh, if you put my screen back up again, Zach, this is a picture from the same New York Times article. This is Marceline Harvey, the uh, supposed woman who has committed all of these terrible crimes. Check out that trans woman pattern baldness she's got going on there. <laughs> I mean, that is quite something. Yeah. Um, I'll bet too, um, I'll, I'll bet there are other problems she's having. Maybe, um, hearing loss, typical of older trans women. I'll bet she doesn't quite have the bone density loss that, uh, older trans men are often finding themselves afflicted with. Yeah. Uh, you, you know why? Because these are anatomical and physiological descriptions of what happens to men and to women as they age. Men are far less likely to experience bone density loss as they age, osteoporosis and such, and women are far less likely to experience male pattern baldness and hearing loss, especially at the higher frequencies. So, you know, just, just look at the hairline. Other, you know, in addition to everything else about this person, again, a homicidal maniac by every definition, and know that this is not a Marceline, despite the fact that he decided to switch the order in which his names go. Well, the uh, the New York Times clearly demonstrates that they are just simply suckers because this person's history demonstrates that there is a complete absence of moral constraint. Yep. If somebody has a complete absence of moral constraint, enough that they can murder and dismember other people multiply, then... We are talking about somebody who might find lying not that big a deal. Right. Right. And, you know, okay, right. so this person is lying. Yep. Um, even in the case that they're not somehow that this is an accurate report from inside, this person right. has denied other people their entire lives and done so apparently in cold blood. Yes. So... Uh, you know, yes, I would assume that this person is probably lying, and if they're not, the injustice done by not taking their 
stuff seriously is a tiny one compared to the injustice that they have done and they're intact and everything. It just, the story is absurd. It, you know how I used to say certain stories diagnose the system? Mm -hmm. This is one such story. I believe so too. Yeah. Um, and that's actually a perfect, a perfect place to end and to segue, segue, segue into talking about, um, Tavistock, um, but first, just two more short quotes from this New York Times article. Ms. Harvey, quote, presented as a mild-spoken, very tall black man, said Anne Brennan, the nurse who ran the intake. I said, well, why are you in the women's shelter? Apparently, quote, apparently his feelings and identity were far more important than all the other women that were terrified of him, she said. And uh, next thing we know, there's another woman dead. So uh, this... This does feel a little bit like uh, the moment when a lot of people woke up when, uh, what's his name, who won the swimming competition pretending to be a woman? Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas, yeah. Uh, where just the pictures made it so clear. And, there, you know, there was, there was no violence here. There was injustice, but there was, no, there was no tragedy at the level that we see here. But it was really patently clear when you just put the visuals and the story in front of people. Right. So let us hope, let us hope that, uh, that, that this wakes some more people up. We see, to segue here, we do see the tide turning, uh, as I alluded to earlier, uh, over in transitioning of youth space. Not in the U.S. yet. Hopefully that will happen soon. But the infamous Tavistock Gender Identity Clinic in England, it is, it is the big gender identity clinic, and it has taken a lot of flack from a lot of good people who have gotten no end of flack in return, um, has been ordered to shut down by next spring. Now, wow. Why, why by next spring? Why not right now? But okay, it's been ordered to be shut down, and this is extraordinary. So yeah, go for it. Yeah, I just, I just want to point out that the idea that – this clinic is apparently engaged in um, procedures that are egregious enough that it needs to be shut down raises exactly the question about if it needs to be shut down, what about the procedures that happen between now and when it is shut down? Right. And this is reminiscent of what happened as um, mandates were lifted over COVID. Oh, and so I want to point out, yeah. this is now a hallmark of how Goliath behaves when it's caught red-handed, right? So it can be caught. It can be forced to change course. It cannot mm, be forced to admit good. that it is changing course. And the way it makes it appear that it's just simply involved in something normal rather than a tacit admission that it was full of shit <laughs> is that it sets a timeline which mm -hmm. makes it seem like oh this is just another you know bureaucratic date on the calendar yep. rather than oh my god this clinic has been injuring young people and needs to stop yesterday not a month from now much less you know eight months or you know whenever whenever spring counts as you know i don't know beginning of spring is still what seven eight months away yeah more than that um so I uh, I don't know I mean uh, we need we need better language for this but Goliath sucks is uh, <laughs> basically where I am with it yeah yeah Goliath sucks and it hides behind its own bureaucracy uh, in order to to maintain a semblance of business as no, as usual business that's just the thing it has a very this is boring business as usual there's something yeah. in the future it's not that it's happening tomorrow because we suddenly realize we're maiming children yeah. 
Exactly. So there's, there are a lot of there are a lot of pieces of this story, and it is. Uh, I, I will link to several of these in the show notes, and we're not going to talk a whole lot about it now. But I will show you, for instance, that I, um, I first heard about this from the GenSpec press release, sack, which you can show here, uh, which is which is quite. Um, quite careful and has all of these links on it, um, in which, so Genspect is an excellent organization, uh, which is, which is at the forefront of the question of, the question of the conclusion that we should not be transitioning children and that we should not be encouraging children to question what they are on the basis of a fleeting, you know, flight of fancy. Um, but among, among what they have here, actually, if I may, Zachary, have my screen back for a moment. Thank you. Uh, they've got a Times of London article here. Uh, Tavistock Gender Clinic forced to shut over safety fears. This is published uh, just a few days ago, July 28th. Uh, the NHS, the National Health Service in England, is shutting down its gender identity clinic for children after review found that it failed vulnerable under 18s. Uh, it has been ordered to close, exactly as you said, and this is due to a report put out by pediatrician Dr. Hilary Cass, who is leading a review of the service. And I also have that review, uh, which I will, which I will post, um, to the show notes. It's very long. It's very detailed. She and her team went and did interviews and assessments and all sort, all sorts of, all sorts of the right sorts of investigations as to whether or not this this clinic, which has been patently hurting children for a long time now, uh, should continue to be the one and only place that children who are presenting with some kind of gender dysphoria in Great Britain should be sent to. And the conclusion was a resounding no. No, they should not. So, there need to be more options. There need to be more options besides affirmative care, which is if you wake up one day and say you're a turtle, you're a turtle. Nope, not that. If you wake up one day and say you're a toaster, you're a toaster. Nope, not that. If you wake up one day and say you're the sex that you are not, well, then yes, we have just the puberty blockers and then cross-sex hormones and then surgery for you. It's insane. And finally, it is stopping, at least in Great Britain, or it will be soon. So... Related to uh, Goliath hiding behind its uh, bureaucracy, we are also watching everything foundational, right? The things that we all once agreed on being undone at every level. And so with the mandates, we saw what I Vaccine mandates. The vaccine mandates. Mm -hmm. We saw what I argued was a double violation of Nuremberg because not only did mm -hmm. informed consent not exist in the context of the vaccines in question, but those who refused to administer them and in some cases take them were in jeopardy of their uh, their jobs. So the obligation mm -hmm. to resist immoral orders was itself being um, being punished. And in this case, we have what is an obvious violation of the Hippocratic Oath. Right. Right. The fact is the purpose of this clinic was to violate the Hippocratic Oath, right? Now, it may be, and I, I agree yeah. with the following statement. If you are one of those rare people who is gender dysphoric and is going to reach adulthood and remain compelled that something is not right, right, you need help. And the earlier we give you that help, likely the better it works. So I do have compassion for people who experience this early and know it. But that's a very tiny number of people. And the problem is that this clinic is not acting with caution 
with respect to, yes, there are a tiny number of those people and we need to sort them out and find them in amongst the vast sea of people who are momentarily confused about their gender. Um, Instead, the point is affirmative care is a euphemism for a violation of the Hippocratic Oath, right? The fact is, this is doing physical harm, right? Just measurable harm, disrupting the reproductive capacity, Mm -hmm. the sexual well-being uh, and capacity of these people, you know, altering, destroying functional tissue and replacing it with, at best, a simulation of the other sex's uh, hardware, right? That is harmful, right? What, what happened to first do no harm? Well, it got obscured by affirmative care, which, you know, who's not for affirmative care? It sounds mm-hmm. like preventative care, mm-hmm. right? Well, it ain't. Sounds positive. Yep, sure does. Yep. Not yes, but yes, and we're going to say yes to all the things, including affirmative care. Yeah, I will say, um, you know, I, I made I made some of those arguments in 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 Zach. You can show this briefly. This piece that I I wrote it a lot earlier, but I published in my Substack in November of last year. Protect children. Do not allow them to medically transition. In which I make um, you know precisely this argument, uh, which is that even though there will be some very rare people who are actually going to live a more fulfilled life um, by existing as much as possible as the sex that they are not. And those people will presumably know that pretty young. We risk far more harm to far more people by ever allowing children or youth to transition because those errors will be much, much, much more numerous. And I would add one other thing to it, which is even if we were to take the trans activists at face value and imagine that there is a huge increase in the number of people in this category, it, it, it immediately invites the next question, which is what's causing that? Yes. And to the extent that there is something causing it that is novel, the question is, can we figure out what it is so that we don't yeah. do this to any more people? Yeah. What happened to diagnosis and prevention? What, you know, in fact, gosh, have I ever heard anyone in this argument talk about preventing right. transness? Where is that? Right? Like, and because it has been, because it has been slid in as if it's the next civil rights battle, as if it is, um, inherently who you are, this will sound, you know, I will be called a bigot for even saying that. Because I wouldn't say I'm trying to prevent homosexuality. No, right? But transness appears to be a malfunction. Well, a, 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 a dysfunction between, between your actual sex and either what your brain understands or something else that happened in development. I would be, I would be a little cautious about that because we do have many cultures which have this category. And so I would argue that the increase is almost certainly the result mm-hmm. of malfunction, but not every case is the result of malfunction, or at least we don't know that yet. Yeah, I don't. I I I don't think I agree with that. Um, now we do have. Um, I mean, in fact, we do know, and I've written about in a couple of other essays. Uh, for instance, genetic anomalies, as in I think Dominican Republic, uh, where we actually can can track. Oh, there's a there's a lot of people who, uh, you know, the, the what is it, the machiembras, who and I don't remember which way it is. I think um, are born appearing to be. Um, male and then become female in puberty, become visibly female in puberty, or maybe it's the other way around. I can't, I can't no, remember. No, I think that's right. Um, and so, 
you know, that's that's a that's a malfunction. That's, well, a, that's a genetic malfunction. There's a question about it. Um, we have this pattern in many cultures. We also have um, a question about just as we have in many species the production of more offspring than adults can manage to feed, mm -hmm. right? So there's basically selection is playing a game where it doesn't have enough information about what the future will look like, and so it biases in a direction. And we have that game also played with respect to the balance between the sexes. And so in cultures mm. where um, there are too many men and not enough women or vice versa, the idea that some group of people can switch categories and be paired up and that the society makes allowances for that could arguably be a very play sensible... Play the role without actually being able to fully play the role right. because, you know... Born female, you're never going to pr uh, produce sperm. No, but Born male, you're never going to produce it's eggs. It's at the right level. It's yep. at the level you would expect yep. selection to fix the problem, which is to say we will treat you this way, but nobody's confused about what it actually means. I, I, see, I see this as a possibility under, under rare and very particular circumstances. So, uh, so okay, I, I, I cede that point to you. Uh, the... the Bigger point right now is, as you said, uh, the incredible rise, the incredible rise in people claiming to be trans, and some of it, as has been, you know, very, very well discussed by all sorts of people, including us, I think, is about social contagion. But there's also the question of what we are doing, what we are doing society-wide that may be prompting this. Yeah. And the fact is that we are flooding our waterways with endocrine disruptors. And with um, what are, for many people, cross-sex hormones, right? Our waterways and our airways are flooded with garbage. And yeah. the point, airwaves is really what I mean. Yeah. But the point yeah. is, yeah, we are, do, we are treating this sensitive developmental process with complete disregard. We are ignoring the fact that the harms are... Uh, quite clearly the most likely cause is novelty mm -hmm. hyper novelty in this case and also to the extent that one can say what i said which is the transness exists in many cultures there's a reason that you might expect it to emerge right so it's not inherently pathological but even in those cases i am not aware of a case in which uh, either pharmaceutical or surgical modification is the response. And so to the extent that somebody believes that they are in this other category, not altering them, first doing no harm, allowing yeah. them to transition, supporting them in so doing, but leaving open the possibility that if that doesn't turn out to be what was bugging them, that maybe they get to go backwards, mm -hmm. right? That has to be left open. And the idea yeah. that somehow not only are we going to embrace that some huge percentage of the population uh, has this condition and that we are we are obligated morally to address it early, but that we are obligated morally to address it irreversibly is, you know, it's three steps insane. Yeah, no, it, it really truly is. Uh, you know, we are, we, everything about what the West and now, you know, specifically the United States is doing on this front is uh, wrongheaded, increasingly irreversible, ignores reality and uh, and everything that has come before, and makes us look like idiots. Yeah. And uh, and and puts us at risk of 
far more than simply being laughingstocks of the rest of the world. Right. And we are, you know, how, how dumb is the predicament, right? You either get to look like an idiot for taking this seriously in cases where it clearly is not what it appears, or you get to be a bigot, right? right. In what universe is that your choice, right? That's just, that's evidence that somebody has eliminated, has erased a possible category because they don't want anybody in it. And the fact is all the reasonable people have skepticism. They have compassion. They are trying to navigate the difficult question. That's not bigotry. No. Right? No, not at all. It's, it's, it's not. And um, I actually, increasingly, as we've had this conversation, I'm wondering about the complete lack of discussion of um, addressing root causes and preventing yeah. and preventing because uh, other than the activists who are leading the charge, uh, I don't think that people like people who actually are living, you know, the, the, the few people that were I and we are still in touch with who are living as trans people would say this is a better life than if I weren't dealing with gender dysphoria. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think I not, met a single trans person yeah. who had that perspective. Right. And I will say we right. know uh, newly, so we knew a number of trans students. Mm -hmm. um, we newly know uh, Blair White and Buck Angel, who are... Um, I, I don't know Blair Well, I, I, I've met Blair White a couple times. I uh, have never met uh, Buck Angel in person, but we've certainly interacted uh, electronically. But anyway, I think they're doing a very good job. They're, you know, politically very far apart from each other. They're doing a very good job. These are two people who are, have transitioned very compellingly, right? And they are very open about what it is and what it isn't. And anyway, I think that they provide a pretty good model for how to discuss these issues without losing your mind. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I haven't paid um, a lot of attention there. I know a couple of people who aren't public personas, who I'm not going to name here, who I'm thinking of, um, who struggle mightily and live uh, live as the sex that they are not, knowing that they are not the sex that they present as, and um, and wish that they didn't, didn't have, have to. to. Yeah. Right. And. Uh, you know, all decent people will have compassion for that predicament. And uh, frankly, all reasonable people will also agree that you do not take a child's word when they wake up one morning at face value and send them to the clinic. And, you know, thank, thank a lot of people for working hard for many years to get Tavistock shut down in the near future and hope that that begins to cause the rest of the dominoes to fall. Yep. Absolutely. Well, all right. Um, I was, let's, I'll, I'll, I'll hold off on the rest of that conversation. You want to talk about among other things, Wikipedia. Oh, Wikipedia. Yes. Wikipedia. Wikipedia um, which was, I would argue until recently and have argued many times the um, greatest encyclopedia in the history of the universe by uh, orders of magnitude. Um, it was never perfect. It was never perfect. But now... How do you, how do you assess... I'm just going to interrupt here. How do you assess quality easy. of encyclopedia by orders of magnitude? That feels like adding a quantitative element here that doesn't, oh, it's, has no place. It's so easy. Okay. Right. The question is how encyclopedic is it? And, you know... Pick another encyclopedia and it's pick still a encyclopedic topic. though, isn't it? So that's not the question. Well, no, no. It w so two things have to be true. Let's say that it covered every topic in the universe 
and uh, at random that it had an entry for every topic and it was lorem ipsum in every entry, right? Okay. That might be technically encyclopedic, but it's mm -hmm. not meaningfully encyclopedic, right? Okay. Now, to be fair, if you pick up the Encyclopedia Britannica, you will find some slant in there. Those articles are written by people. Those people have perspectives. Those mm -hmm. perspectives are not completely excluded from the Encyclopedia Britannica, and they were never completely excluded from Wikipedia either. Mm -hmm. Wikipedia had a kind of a, you know, there were certain topics, and there still are certain topics you can go to to get a textbook level explanation of something, right? If you want to know about uh, atomic orbitals, mm -hmm. right? My guess is you can still go to Wikipedia and you can see the diagrams of the various orbitals. You can see a description of how they affect covalent bonding, etc. All that stuff is probably okay because it's probably not that political. Now, at some point, somebody is going to decide that certain orbitals are transphobic and then everything's going to go to hell. You won't be able to go to Wikipedia. But for the moment, there are certain topics that you can still go there and find a reasonable entry. And there are other topics in which you just can't, right? Because something is at stake and the mechanisms, whatever they are behind the scenes, result in complete gobbledygook happening. And uh, I won't say too much about the COVID stuff at the moment. You and I are still, I have not been to Wikipedia in some time and looked at it, but I believe we are still being actively slandered by mm -hmm. Wikipedia with no mechanism for doing anything about it mm -hmm. um, uh, over things that we said about COVID, which uh, we stand by. We stand by and have and largely been borne out by the looking evidence. More and more true with every passing week. Right. Yep. So um, in any case, what emerged this week was that same noxious behavior on a different topic where it was immediately visible to a bunch of people. And the question was one of, uh, are we in a recession, right? Now, what happened was a prior, the recession- This is just, like, has any human being walked around in the US in the last six months and actually wondered? That, my dear, is not the question. We all know. You know. Six months ago, technically we weren't because, well, what's the definition? You were going somewhere. Right. But, but the point is, oh Wikipedia itself yeah. reported the standard definition, which was two consecutive quarters of reduction in GDP. Okay. Okay. Technical, boring, economic, now, whatever. Here is the problem with that definition. Okay. Right? The problem with that definition is the midterms are coming up. Oh, no. And what if we were in a recession? What if quarters, what if, what if the midterms happened during a quarter? Holy crap. <laughs> of the this, year. This is really awkward. Yeah. So I don't know who decided to put the midterms in a recession, but somebody screwed up. Okay? Yeah. So the solution here is. Maybe it was the people who brought on the fucking recession. I don't know. But nonetheless, yeah. It cannot be that the Biden administration will be forced to face an election in a recession. That's just not fair. That's team blue, goddammit. Okay? It's no, it's not fair. So what they have done is they have argued that although some people will tell you that a recession is two consecutive quarters. This of is now Biden administration, not Wikipedia. Correct. Okay. The Biden administration has um, changed the definition that they ascribe to. Um, the, the definition is now, uh, it is a decline in general activity as uh, discovered by the uh, 
um, the NB, uh, the National Board of Economic Research, the General NB Activity, General Economic Activity. Yes. Well, look, okay. uh, let's give them their due. Are okay? just like walking around? Like, what's activity here? Uh, it's economic. Yeah, it's okay. uh, it's productivity. It's it's it, it's trade. I don't think that this it's is probably a, it's probably a multivariate here measure. Multivariate would yeah. be okay if we could all agree on what the variables were. Yeah. But the problem is this is subjective. By saying that this particular entity has to discover a and you know it's got two subjective elements, right? Mm. Over the period of several months, you have to have a general decline in activity. Now that may actually be if if those weren't two subjective measures that not only lend themselves to being gamed but are mm -hmm. also there to be defined by a particular entity which mm -hmm. can therefore presumably be captured and probably is and not to be redefined at any moment that a person wants to come in and say no we're not in a recession are we right so uh. the point is it is a subjective recession that we are not in were a recession an objective fact, then we would be in one yep. because we've just had those two quarters and you don't have to take anybody's word for it. Yep. You can just go and look at the two quarters and yep. say, ah. Okay, so this is standard politics. I mean, it's increasingly terrible and ridiculous, but this is, you know, this is unfortunately Team Blue, standard politics. Team Red would do the same thing or something like it, I'm sure, if, you know, if they had the wherewithal and the, were currently had the power to do so. How does that relate to Wikipedia? Well, Wikipedia went about changing the definition so that it m matched uh, Team Blue's uh, self-serving uh, fantasy of how uh, economics works. Yeah. So, Zach, do you want to show the um, the two screenshots from Wikipedia? Uh, yes. Yes, you do want to show the two screenshots from Wikipedia. So well, start showing them. <laughs> All right. Keep talking, man. Yes. Um, I am now talking about the fact that there are screenshots which will show that if you now go to the recession entry in Wikipedia, not only does the definition reflect that it is the National Board of Economic Researchers' job, and, you know, it's not like the National Board of Economic Research has says we're not in a recession. They just apparently haven't done the analysis yet. So, okay, so we're these are coming out of order. This is what happens if you click, if you go within Wikipedia's recession entry, it says that there is a disagreement about the definition. And then if you click through, you get to some media outlets have circulated an outdated version of this article claimed to be its current state. Please check if claims or screenshots you have seen are consistent with what's actually here, okay? So they've changed the definition inside of Wikipedia. They are now putting warnings on uh, the circulation of the Lord. earlier objective definition, which did not require you to ask anyone if we're in a recession. And look, the game is obvious, right? The game is completely obvious, which is the point, the facts, are obviously not facts. We have a team that wants complete power to define what is a fact, and they are perfectly willing to take things that are wrong and say they are true, and they are perfectly willing to take true things and say they are wrong, right? They have done it repeatedly. In this case, what they've done is they've said, and again- So you're talking about Wikipedia now? Uh, I'm talking, talking about, about- Politics. Team Blue, mm. 
and its affiliates in tech, right? We have Wikipedia, the greatest encyclopedia the universe has ever known, I swear by orders of magnitude on the basis that you could look up, you know, orders of magnitude more things and find credible information. And that went on for many years. Never was, it was never perfectly, uh, perfectly objective. It can't be, Mm -hmm. but it is now a weapon of war. It is a weapon in a political war, which means several things. It means, one, in the space where we need that greatest encyclopedia that all humanity can go to and just agree on the basic facts of what's going on, right? The foundation of knowledge, the library of Alexandria to which we all have access. That thing doesn't exist because there's something with its name sitting in that niche. A giant parasitic glob is sitting (laughs) in that niche, slandering people who are trying to tell you what you need to know, redefining things so that the only thing you are left with is somebody else's subjective assessment, which is obviously, you know, I mean, imagine, imagine Trump runs in 2024 right? Mm -hmm. Then the point is the logic behind the scenes is going to be nothing that increases the chances that Trump will win can be allowed to have the status of a fact. And we are going to see the same bullshit that we saw over Hunter Biden's laptop, right? That same thing is going to emerge again and is going to take over our ability to have a basic conversation about where we are, what pathogens we face, what we might do about them, where what our economic economic standing is. And, you know, you can't run a civilization this way, right? This is this is going to run us <coughs> absolutely into the ground. And so w- what I see is they've done us a favor. We lived through this with COVID for years. Okay. We lived with them manufacturing nonsense and parading it as facts and forcing uh, people to uh, subscribe to them, right? Follow the science. That's what they told us. In this case, what we've got is follow the economics, Mm -hmm. where the economics is as defined by a particular agency who gets to say we are or are not in a recession. And I will say I know nothing about the National Board of Economic Research. I am hoping that the universe has been wise enough to put someone at the head of that agency named Simon so that this can be the obvious game of Simon Says that it is and we can all recognize that we are being had and what we need are independent economic authorities who are capable of telling us what's really going on because that is necessary for us to steer the ship. Yep. So do you want Zach to show any of the other screenshots that you had pulled up? I don't think I don't think they're necessary at this point. Um, you, you all at home get the gist of uh, of what has taken place. Uh, oh, I will say, so, yeah, you want to show I, the I, NPR just, screenshot? Okay. So I will say NPR reported on the story, and um, it reported on it in a way that I found. Uh, troubling it much as the the way the New York Times reported on the the uh, murder homicidal uh, maniac the homicidal maniac mm-hmm. story thank you yes um, that you were describing and the point is it says that Wikipedia has locked down the edits and they specifically imply that it's a bunch of people who uh, have newly registered accounts who are disrupting this rather than Wikipedia itself intervening on behalf of the Biden administration. Oh, come on, NPR. Wake up. Wake up. Well, NPR here says, what is a procession? Wikipedia can't decide. Um, And I just, while while you were talking just then, I went to the Wikipedia page. um, 
which were, which is consistent with what you said, but it's it's interesting to actually read what the Wikipedia page says on yep. recession. Can I can I share this? Yes. Now, what I would we don't we're not in a position to do it, but I would love to do is go back and see what the recent changes to it have been, because many people, including Elon Musk, have noticed yep. that this is going on, and so this is a, obviously a, a hot potato for them. Of course. Uh, so the second paragraph, Zach, you can show my screen if you like. The second paragraph of Wikipedia's current entry as of July thirtieth, twenty twenty two. On recession reads, although I guess I can make it a little bigger for those watching at home, although the definition of a recession varies between different countries and scholars, two consecutive quarters of decline in a country's real gross domestic product is commonly used as a practical definition of recession. Okay. In the United States, a recession is defined by the National Bureau of Economic Research as, quote, a significant decline in economic activity spread across the market, lasting more than a few months, normally visible in real GDP, real income, employment, industrial production, and wholesale retail sales. In the United Kingdom, it is defined as negative economic growth for two consecutive quarters. Uh, so that that in the United States a recession is defined by the National Bureau of Economic Research thing as a little like slight of slight of words there in which you know why do we care what the National Bureau of Economic Research says well right? so and they go that goes to uh, the NBR's recession dating procedure um, but why are we going to them at all why yeah. are we going so yeah. again so I'm not I'm off. not arguing that they might not have a more useful measure. Right. What I'm arguing is that, A, this is designed to look like something so technical you couldn't possibly care about it. Okay, so different economists are battling over which measure to use. Do you want to use GDP alone or these other, yeah. you know, the composite measure? I'm not arguing the composite measure might not arguably be better. What I'm arguing is that not only is this now an explicit appeal to authority, right? Yeah. GDP is something that you can, you will get a uh, supposedly uh, objective measure of its, uh, what is the rate for the last month uh, or the last quarter. Mm -hmm. um, you can go from there and figure out if you're in a recession, right? In yeah. this case, you have to go to these authorities, right? So that's a, that is an anti-scientific move. What's more, also, not only is it these authorities are going to tell you based on these categories, which they will have to assemble in some sort of a formula that will weight different things and is prone to be gamed. Right. Well, don't but, look at the model behind the curtain. Nice. That's very good. Um, but not only do you, are you going to need a formula that mm -hmm. is going to take a bunch of things and uh, is is ripe for gaming because you could downweight things that suggest you are in a recession and upweight things that suggest you're not. Mm -hmm. Blah 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 blah. And you know there will be arbitrary differences. The recession may lag. The measure may lag in certain parameters, and so those parameters could be prioritized if you wanted it not to be a recession. Sure. Um, but the fact that they've introduced two subjective phrases in saying even what that formula is going to look like. Right? So it's a significant decline. Oh, mm. it's a significant decline over the course of many months. How many, many months? Yeah. Right. That's, you, you, you put two wiggle two words in Two to ten, there. depending on what we're trying to maximize. Right. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's an utter absurdity yeah. um, and you know, an obvious game. Yeah. And obviously, anybody who is doing that is not your friend. They don't want you to know if you're in a recession. They want you right. to think you're not in one, whether you're in one or not. Which itself is, I mean, this is presumably not the, the point, um, but it's its a form of gaslighting. I mean, they're, they're trying to gaslight the American public into thinking that we're not 
experiencing what we're experiencing. When we go to fill up our tanks with gas or buy milk or bread or um, observe uh, that like somehow a lot of people are out of work and yet also there's not enough labor to fill positions. Uh, and you know, this, this is, this is one of the ways that presumably they're able to, to game the numbers because like, Oh, well, unemployment isn't that, isn't that high. Well, it's because most, most people who are unemployed haven't been seeking work. And so they drop off the unemployment numbers after I can't remember how many months, like they're not counted right. in, in the number of people who are unemployed anymore if they're not actively looking for work. Yep. Um, anyway, in any case, um, so, uh, I, I just, I want our, our listeners to keep their eye on the ball. The transition from objective measures to subjective measures is what somebody who wants to game your mind is going to do. Yeah. And the problem yeah. with using something like Wikipedia in this game is that it means that not only is Wikipedia a dangerous weaponized source, but the opportunity for a competitor to arise to do the marvelous job that Wikipedia was built to do is, uh, it's very unlikely that that will occur. And the cost to civilization of us not having a trustable uh, Wikipedia is almost impossible to calculate. Mm -hmm. The value that comes from having a truly encyclopedic encyclopedia that at least aspires to be objective and as complete as possible yep. um, is it's a tremendous loss. No, and it's not the same as saying, well, you know, go back to the 90s. There was no Wikipedia. Uh, why won't it be like then? Because we have had it and we and it still looks like it did to most people. And so this is not like, okay, well, we just don't have Wikipedia anymore. This is living in a world that is post-Wikipedia and still most people assume that Wikipedia still still exists as what you have described as the best encyclopedia the universe has ever known. Greatest encyclopedia the universe has ever known by orders of magnitude. Yep. Yep. All right. I miss it. I will say that. Oh, yeah, indeed. Yep. Okay. You had one more topic that you wanted to talk about today, which was the drinking age. Oh, yes. The drinking age. Um, I feel that I... I have now lived enough years that I should definitely, I don't know what the drinking age is, but I feel that I have attained the right to have a drink. Really? Yeah. Not now. Okay. No, not now. No. It's too early. <clears throat> what I really wanted to talk about was something that occurred to me. So I, I, let me just say this thought is an old thought, but it didn't start with alcohol. Mm -hmm. It started with quote unquote drugs. Okay. Where I always felt a bit betrayed by the fact that I was told that drugs were dangerous, I, of course, then tried pot. At the time, pot was a pretty mild phenomenon. And my thought was, oh, they were full of shit. They were lying to me about drugs being dangerous. And the problem is many drugs are dangerous. And somebody needs to really sit you down and say, look, here are the dangers of uh, pot. Here are the dangers of the powders, here are the dangers of the hallucinogens, right? So you have some idea what landscape you're even in and that by having this policy that basically tries to keep you away from drugs, that they're creating the gateway drug phenomenon. Like I was just going to say, you know, the this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs ad campaign that we grew up with uh, made marijuana into more of a gateway drug because some people, um, like, like you described your own experience, um, held off for a while, and then upon finally trying, it went like, oh, oh my well, God, okay. that's not a big deal. What's the, what's the deal? Yeah. And I will also say, I find this uh, 
complexifying, but I now believe that marijuana is a much more dangerous drug than it was. Well, it is. It has become a much more profound... Because there's been human selection for uh, not only an increase in THC, but an out-of-whackitude of the THC to you know other um, psychoactive compounds, the other you know yep. CBD and CBG in particular, I think, um, and the others that we haven't even named yet, uh, which mean that um, you have more of the sort of psychotic-inducing aspects of marijuana and fewer of... Uh, you know, fewer of the tempering effects that made it, you know, made it an interesting plant and also not all that strong. Yeah, it, it sure ain't ditchweed, right? It's now, a, yeah, it's a stuff. whole different yeah. thing. And so, <clears throat> um, you know, there's still a discussion to be had about whether it's anywhere near as dangerous as something like alcohol, but the potentially profound effects that modern uh, pot has mm -hmm. are not comparable so uh you know the absurdity of comparable to to what it was you know the absurdity of reefer madness at the time yeah. right uh yeah. is being lost because the fact is now it's at least a profound drug um it, or it can be yeah but the point is okay so that's the the long-standing thought about why why do we say drugs that's not cool you're misleading young people and uh, you, they need more information, not less. Yeah. Well, but, and I mean, sorry, but like, also, you know, there's a whole lot of legal drugs um, that you can get your doctor to give you that are really dangerous. Oh, true. And uh, you know, street drugs versus pharma drugs uh, is not a proxy for dangerous versus not dangerous. Right. Really, it not. Really, isn't. And in yeah. fact, in some of the cases, it's the same damn drug. Right. Right. Right, so yeah. you know some of the ADHD stuff is really yeah. uh, pharmaceutical meth, pretty much, and yeah. um, and you know we deal with it in, in totally different ways. But mm -hmm. all right, so here's the, the the modern thought. The modern thought is there's a there's always been something weird about the drinking age being 21 in the U.S. Um, it's weird, you know, if we're going to draft you and send you. Uh, overseas to to attempt to kill people and risk being killed, right? That does suggest that you're ready for a certain amount of responsibility. It's also not effective, right? People who are not 21 typically do not respect the drinking age. They end up finding ways to drink. And my sense is they get into a lot of freaking trouble. And here's the question. The question is, if we were to elect so first of all the alcohol molecules which we discussed on the uh on the podcast a couple of weeks ago right these oh groups oh we're talking on. about isopropyl yeah when we're talking about isopropyl, <laughs> do not so drink the alcohols are uh oxygen hydrogen pairs sticking off a saturated carbon right a carbon with all of its uh, uh electrons covalently bonded or all of its outer electrons um that uh alcohol molecule in ethanol, right? It's all pretty interchangeable in terms of its effect, right? That is to say the alcohol, the ethanol in wine and the ethanol in vodka is not different. In fact, the uh, hard alcohol is distilled from uh, a pro you know, the microorganisms can only take you so far because they die from alcohol poisoning, at, you know, at 12% or whatever it is. Yep. And so you have to distill down further to get rid of more water to concentrate the stuff. Yep. And the point is, look, um, dear young people, 
We understand that you're going to drink. We understand that you're probably going to get drunk, probably more than you should, and you're probably going to go farther than you should, and you're probably going to learn some ugly, uh, vomity lessons, and we wish you wouldn't. But may, may you do that only once and learn the lesson. Right. May you learn the le- may one trial learning uh, be the the lesson of your drinking career. Mm-hmm. Um, however, why are you in such a freaking rush? Why do you need this stuff concentrated? Right. Mm-hmm. The concentration has a problem built into it, which is that it makes it very hard to know the instantaneous measure of how drunk you are lags how much how drunk you're going to be based on what you've already consumed because it takes time for the stuff to hit your blood, mm-hmm. right? So it is very easy for somebody who is not experienced with this stuff to drink uh, too much because at the point that they make the decision to take their last drink, they haven't fully understood how drunk they are right. or how drunk they're about to be. I mean, some of the logic, of course, and I, maybe you're getting here, is for the same reason that pot was selected to be very, very strong because it was cheaper and easier to get illegally across borders if you needed less volume to get a sufficient amount to get people high across borders. If it's illegal for young people to buy alcohol, uh, they have a better chance of sneaking a fifth of vodka into a party than they do of bringing in a case of beer. Well, that is not a point I was going to make, but I think it's a truly excellent point. It is the same kind of selective effect of prohibition. It's just a different prohibition mm-hmm. that has caused marijuana to become concentrated and caused alcohol to be, or concentrated alcohol to be preferred by young people in many cases. But here's the question. If we had a two-tiered drinking age, right? So that you were legally allowed to buy beer, wine, and hey, if you're sensitive to wheat, try cider. It's really good, but you need the dry stuff. People think you want a sweet cider, you don't. You want a dry cider, but... Brett likes it so dry, it's sandy. Yeah, it's, it's gritty. Wow, is it um, dry? Yeah. Hey, Dad, you were about to suggest used to be true in the U.S. Did it? Yeah. I don't know exactly what you did. Maybe 20 seconds. My son So our 18-year-old producer's son... Says he is alerting us that uh, apparently I don't I haven't fact checked him but uh, he is alerting us that until what he says is the mid twentieth century that there was a two tiered drinking age. Um, All right, so let's just say. I don't know that that's true. I haven't heard that before. If so, that's really interesting information. It may be that that date is wrong. I would imagine we would know it if it was really mid-20th century. I don't know. I've never thought about this. But anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, I believe that... So there are two problems with the concentrated alcohol. One, it's much easier to make a big error, Mm -hmm. right? Much easier to make. And this is, in fact, why... um, Beer than liquor, never sicker. Liquor than beer, never fear. The mm-hmm. point is, if you start drinking the slower to hit your system stuff, uh, and then you move into the stuff that's harder to calibrate, you're much more likely to make an error. Whereas if you step from the harder stuff to the uh, less concentrated stuff, um, it slows you down. Well, you're you're also adding water into your system, right? right. And so, that's what I'm saying. Staying hydrated, um, keeping your body a little cool, getting up and walking around, um, and you know, even even just to like, oh, I have to get up to move to get myself another beer is you know helpful in the process of not getting alcohol poisoning. Right. So the yeah. the the fact is, it's not like you know the molecule is the same, right? The question is how much water it comes with, 
and more water is good. It keeps you from getting dehydrated and therefore hungover. It slows you down, so you're much more likely to detect, oh, maybe I've had enough. And the point is, it's it's a better training exercise. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me that we should have a two-tiered thing, that the question is the number of people we lose to either alcohol addiction, where they get out of control with it, or death because they exert bad judgment on it, or any of the other problems that arise, mm -hmm. how much harm could we reduce if we gave people the ability to uh, experiment with a lower caliber alcohol earlier in life before we granted them the ability to buy the higher caliber stuff? Yeah, I like it. All right. I think it's right. And apparently it used to be the case. Apparently if, it used if, to be the if case. If Zach is correct. And I don't, he, doesn't, he doesn't tend to be wrong on things that he proclaims like this. So Yeah, he, uh, I find he is frequently right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that is annoying as hell. Sure. But um, he is frequently right about things. So mm -hmm. I anyway. could say the same thing about you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I feel I hope good you could about say that. the same thing about me. So. <laughs> I, I, I could and I do. <laughs> All right. Um, I think we've reached... The end? Wait, no. There's nope. one more thing. There was breaking news that was delivered to me right before the podcast. I think we should at least touch on it. Have we broken? Uh, we have not broken. Okay. Um, something is very broken in Morning. the state of Denmark. Denmark. Um, here's a piece of information I suspect you don't know. Uh-oh. You remember Joe Biden? Yeah. Yeah. Joe oh, Biden. Got, he tested positive again, didn't I he? tested positive again. He had, what, what is Was the, he? Oh, he... He was on Paxlovid, wasn't he? Well, but here's the question. Was he? I think so, but here's the question. Oy. I think that, look, I don't know that I don't trust anything that comes out of this White House. Yeah, or the tests. Like, even if they were being totally straight with us, the tests are crap, but. Right. Yeah. I don't know that they wouldn't oh my God. have reason to pretend, but let's just say that this is for real, and maybe it is just for real. Maybe they're for once telling it to us straight. He got COVID, he tested negative, and he's now tested positive again. Um, and well, but that, I mean, that matches the thing that happens with, with Paxlovid, the right. antivirals, yeah. But these people are dumb enough to give the president Paxlovid? I mean, that that's news to me, right? That's a, I, these people have access to good information. They can get the drugs that work if they want. They don't have to take this, you know, Frankenase bullshit that they've assembled in the lab because they can patent it. Frankenase? It's like a Frankenstein uh, enzymatic. Oh, Frankenase. Yeah, Frankenase. Sorry. Frankenase. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. No, it's not a good term. That's not going to catch on. But <laughs> yeah, um, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's not going to catch on. We can agree to that. But mm. um, but let's, enzymatic chimeras. Right. Yeah, they can okay. get him whatever they want, and these people, believe me, they they lie like like they're drinking water. They could give him <laughs> ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. They could just tell him, tell us, you know, that that they're giving him, you know, all of the latest fancy stuff from yeah. from Pfizer and Merck, and everybody be happy. But but I think when you take either of those two drugs that you just named, I think you actually sprout a maga hat on your head. Isn't that oh, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know. It turns you into some kind of crazy conspiracy theorist. Okay, okay. But prepping Republican. Suppose that's true. Science denying. Wait, no. 
So, some of those things. But let's say let's say that that's true. Okay, mm-hmm. so the man's sick. He's president. They don't want him to die because they don't have anybody to run in his place in 2024, among other reasons. Okay. <laughs> so Although there's an op-ed, I think, in WAPO today um, saying actually what he needs to do is to say before the midterms that he won't be running in 2024 because that's the only way that the Democrats have any chance of maintaining any 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 kind of power. And I think I think yeah, I don't remember the problem is it, as right. much as he totally sucks. Everybody else in the party does too. So. Uh, Presumably not everybody else. Well, it's real close. But uh, in any case... A, lo- a lot of us are running away, but there's no place to run to. Right. That's The, the no running away part run is easy. The running to, <laughs> that's, a, that's a much tougher call. Yeah. But okay, so suppose you're right. And if you mm-hmm. take ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine because you've got COVID, that you sprout a MAGA hat. Mm-hmm. But can't they fix that in post? I would think so. I mean, they've got they got people. Yeah. They've got, they've got technical chops. They totally do. It. Yeah. I mean, you remember that beautiful set? Uh, in which they pretended to be vaccinating the president in a beautiful, austere room in the White House? No. I never saw this picture? No. Oh, there was a picture from an awkward angle where the president is clearly being injected with something in, in a Potemkin room. And, it, you know, it just really summed up the whole the whole COVID experience. <sighs> yeah. All right. Okay. Well, that's it. So that's the breaking news. Yeah, that's that's the broken news. <laughs> that's the broken news. That's the broken yeah. news. Well, I mean, I guess the uh, the other thing that is, they're now they the they the Christian Anderson and company they are making another bid for um, this is definitely zoonotic. This definitely came <laughs> from the market in Wuhan, and we're not racist, but this is definitely about what those people eat, and you know, not about the fact that we created this damn thing in a lab, and now the entire population of the entire planet is going to be living with it forever. Yeah. Now. It- uh, we we will return to that topic very soon. Okay, we will. Okay, um, yeah, I think I think we are now there. Okay, we're now there. So we're going to take a break. Uh, for those of you uh, who are watching us live, if you want to take a break for fifteen minutes or so, come back. We'll be here with a live Q and A. You can ask your questions at darkhorsesubmissions.com. You can join our Patreons uh, if you are interested in doing so, where you can get access to our Discord. We have that private Q&A tomorrow uh, at 11 a.m. Pacific on Sunday, July 31st. And Brett has his couple of uh, more intimate conversations coming up on Saturday and Sunday of next week. The first, the first, first Saturday, Saturday and Sunday, and Sunday of, of the month. month. Yep. Exactly. Um, we encourage you if you... I don't know that we spent that much time today really getting into you know evolutionarily um, deep things, but everything that we do is inspired by the evolutionary thinking that we lay out in our book. So, if what what are you smirking about? I'm smirking about the fact that they have they rob us of all the terms that we need, and the problem of being inspired, right? Like now, everything Asian inspired. It's a term that people who are full of crap use. And so anyway, are I'm, you kidding me? We're we're gonna defend it. We are actually inspired. Wait, I'm not <laughs> Jesus. No. You are not um, inspired now. You are <laughs> I'm really not. No. Okay. <laughs> and I can't I can't end with the, the things that I say at the end. On that on that note. So you have to say something better. Say something better. Yeah, All you, right. you have to say something better before I sign off. Um <laughs> Friends. It can't get much worse. Oh, for fuck's sake. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Despite what you've seen here today, (laughs) do be good to the ones you love. Eat good food and get outside. 
Be well, everyone.